Thank you for listening to this podcast from Emanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you would like to learn more about Emanuel or find more resources like this one, visit our website at emanuelbirmingham.com. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. Um, thank you for your great love for us and that you forgive us of our sins and that we um, can have res- restoration and renewal in our relationship with you and our relationship with others in our very souls, God. Help us as we think and talk together today. And um, we just um, we want to we receive from you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, good morning. Welcome to another Equip class. Uh, thanks for being here. You guys really are the faithful few on, is it Memorial? Uh, is that? Yes. Yeah, okay. I always get Memorial and, uh, and Labor Day. I don't know why, but I always get those mixed up. Um, but yes, uh, on this Memorial Day weekend, um, it'd be interesting to know like what fun stuff everybody else is doing. Katie, for instance, is at her grandparents right now um, doing a pool type thing that we do every year. Um, so I'll head up there after church today. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, I prepared kind of a light outline, um, on, you know, the next topic in our discussion is euthanasia because we're talking about theological anthropology. Um, and we're talking about, um, you know, kind of the, the implications of that doctrine and um, life is one of the big ones Um, and so we talked about abortion uh, a couple weeks ago Uh, we took a break last week because I was preaching and then the week before I think uh, not a lot of people are going to be there because of something maybe Mother's Day Day, that's what it was Um, and so it's been a couple weeks um, but the last time we were together, we talked about abortion. Um, that actually took up two sessions. And, uh, and so now the next topic, um, it, actually I had slated for it to be um, racism, I think, but euthanasia fits better after abortion. Um, but the idea was abortion beginning of life, racism during life, mm-hmm. and then euthanasia at the end of life. But, um, but so much of the theological grounding um, that we paved for the topic of abortion um, could be repurposed again for euthanasia. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, I don't know that they posted it yet, but whenever it gets posted, um, or if you wanted the notes, I could send you the notes. Um, but uh, just an overall recap, uh, let's see. Um, I forgot to take out all the actions here. Um, but we did the theological overview and we talked about the different conceptions um, of man, uh, you know, or, or man and woman. Um, and then we looked at the biblical contours of, you know, basically what I put forward as what we should think about for what is man, what is woman. So, you know, it's a resemblance, it's a representation, and it's a responsibility um, of the image of God. And we talked about the fall and the distortion and the disorder that's involved in the image of God um, as a result of the fall. And, um, and then we are looking at implications now of, of those truths. And so the first implication is that we're dignified, so we have dignity. And dignified, being having dignity, implies rights. Um, and the question is, well, where do those come from and what are they? Uh, and then it also... Um, it also implies life, and so there's there's dignity in that. So abortion, as I said a couple weeks ago, uh, euthanasia, and then racism. Um, and so I wanted to start off with a clip um, from a movie. It was a book. It got made into a movie a number of years ago. You guys ever heard of the book or the movie Me Before You? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay. Um, well, that's probably a good thing, but... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, Me Before You, directed by Thea Sherrock, uh, is maybe how you say that. Uh, it was based on a best-selling novel by uh, Jojo or Yoho, uh, I'm not sure, uh, Moyes. Um, I'm butchering these names, this is awful. I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're that person. Um, anyways, it tells the story of the sweet-tempered and naive Louisa, uh, who's played by Amelia Clark. 
She's happy and unambitious, which turns out to be a problem when her family needs more income. Desperate for work, she becomes a full-time caretaker and companion for the disabled Will Trainer, uh, played by Sam Claflin, uh, who is a wealthy but embittered neighbor. Though Will cynically despises Luisa's efforts at kindness, she determines to reach him. Eventually, Will's guard lets down and their friendship starts to bloom. But Luisa, I think it's, maybe it's Louise, that's probably Louise. Louise uh, soon discovers that Will wants a physician-assisted suicide. Her employment was a last-ditch effort by Will's parents to change his mind. Louise decides that she must empower Will to experience the beauty and goodness of life. Soon, the two are off on a series of adventures that she um, orchestrated, during which uh, the laws of cinema demand that Louise and Will fall in love. Okay, um, And so this clip that we're about to enter into is sort of the moment where both the falling in love and the reality of the impending um, you know, trip to Switzerland, I think, um, to have his physician-assisted suicide take place, uh, come together in the same scene. And so I just want you to see this as a kind of a way into our topic this morning. I can't live like this. Please, Will, please. Listen. This, tonight, being with you is the most wonderful thing you could have ever done for me. But I need it to end here. No more pain and exhaustion and waking up every morning already wishing it was over. It's not going to get better than this. The doctors know it, and I know it. When we get back, I'm going to Switzerland. So I'm asking you if you feel the things you say you feel. Come with me. I know that I was changing your mind. Nothing was ever going to change my mind. I promised my parents six months, and that's what I've given them. said otherwise you're so selfish i tore my heart out in front of you and all you can say is no and now you want me to come and watch the worst thing you could possibly imagine do you have any idea what you're asking i wish i had never taken this stupid job i wish i had never met you louisa So, so since they're British, it's probably Jojo Moyes. Okay, there you go. What was the other one? Uh, I don't even. Uh, no, no, it's Doug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Thea Sherrock or something like that. Oh, yeah. Thea, Thea. Um, yeah, so the the guy, um, he had been in some kind of accident, and so he became a paraplegic. And before that, you know, he was wealthy, and he was adventurous, you know, jumping off of cliffs and all that kind of stuff, and, and that's the life that he led beforehand. And so, you know, we entered that scene, and, you know, he he can't be that person ever again. And because he can't be that person ever again, he thinks that life is not worth living. And she just spent the last six months, not intentionally obviously trying to fall in love with him, but trying to show them the beauty of life. And then both of them did fall in love with each other. And um, I can't remember if it was in that clip or not just now, but you know, she says that she you know, can make a life for them. You know, that, you know, why can't she be enough for him? Um, and so, uh, yeah, what do you guys think of that? You know, as a way into the discussion as Christians, I mean, part of showing, the reason of showing the clip is it helps us to capture 
and maybe feel for just a second some of the emotional register of what people who choose to make this decision um, are, are experiencing, you know, for them. Um, and so as Christians, you know, do people have a right to a moral right and therefore us a moral obligation to be able to end their suffering, to take their own lives? Um, what do you think? And maybe let me just give some definitions that would be helpful, okay, just in case. So euthanasia, so this is the intentional taking of a human life for the purpose of relieving pain or suffering. Euthanasia may be either voluntary, i.e. at the request of and with the consent of the individual who will die, or involuntary, i.e. request and or consent was not given, and either passive, so removing medical intervention that results in the person entering the dying process, or active, i.e. causing death through direct action or intervention, such as providing a lethal dose of medication. Um, Physician-assisted suicide, specifically as what we're talking about from this uh, video, is a type of voluntary passive euthanasia in which a doctor provides information about how to commit suicide or prescribes means that allow the patient to terminate their own life. And then when we say a right to die, is the concept uh, and political movement that claims individuals have the right to terminate their own lives either through suicide or euthanasia. So does that definition include like NDRs? What's an NDR? Uh, do not resuscitate. People, uh, right. right, like people have orders basically like if they begin to die, like medical, like you always resuscitate unless somebody has like direct, like they sign a signature. Yeah, okay. Saying do not resuscitate. Um, Very similar to that because I mean, if they can be resuscitated, but there's also but there's also a difference between because that's what it sounds like yeah. in that mm -hmm. definition but there's also a major difference between uh, cutting off technology that will keep you alive in which case you would not be alive without right I'm not necessarily including uh, life support I'm saying like people who have gone then, to shock and then you know, you're and there then, uh, do not resuscitate like uh, similar like mm -hmm. Like if you have, like it's not really, I don't know. I don't, yeah. Well, I mean, see that as euthanasia, certainly not physician-assisted suicide. But I mean, a but physician the definition does, of euthanasia kind of includes right. that. So but, a physician, but a physician does have like an obligation to, mm -hmm. so do unless you have the legal documentation right. to say otherwise to right. save your life. I guess I'm asking how broad are we going with the idea right. of euthanasia, like euthanasia includes assistance, assistive suicide, but it include other things that we may not would consider assistance, assistance, assistive suicide. Yeah, other other concepts that are broader. Yeah, I, I think maybe the distinction would just be between someone who has technically died. Okay. What's considered technically dying. Um, I think when your heart stops for a certain period of time. Okay. And your vital signs cease. That's what I would think would be, you know, so we could probably Google real quick, like, you know, what is death technically or whatever in a medical sense or whatever. Um, but, yeah, when your heart stops for a period of time, and I don't know how long, maybe it's like three minutes or something like that, um, and, you know, you stop breathing for that period of time, your vital signs cease to, you know, do, 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 do. So flatline. You know, and not just flatlining, like, in a second, but, like, again, for... A certain period of time, I think there's, you know, probably a medical standard, you know, again, I think it's like three minutes, because that, it might be one and a half minutes, like at a certain point, your brain starts to, Down like, to yeah, um, so, um, I think there's a distinction between a person who has died in the medical sense, you know, that could maybe be resuscitated, you know, like, it's because any given person is going to be different you know mm -hmm. one person at a certain point may still be able to be resuscitated and we don't know why that person would be able and, and another person they're gone you know um and so i think the distinction in this definition is that you know a person has died or they could die and the difference is is important you know so if a person says i don't want to be resuscitated that assumes that they have already technically died um, now there, there, it may be a situation where you've gotten in a bad car accident mm -hmm. and you've been brought in with an ambulance and stuff and you flatline, right? Mm -hmm. 
and um, and the doctor is going to try to bring you back from that point. But I don't know that they would say like, "Oh, you've died at that point." You know what I mean? Right, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, are we including that? Because that's like a gray area. The first like minute and a half is kind of a gray area because the doctors or nurses going to try to resuscitate you. Like, yeah, don't do that. and, and mo most people, resources. most people in general have not thought about end of life to the point that they even have life insurance. Right. And so there's going to be a, a very sm small fraction of people who have thought about it so deeply that if they should ever randomly get into like a life-threatening incident or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, again, like a car accident or falling off of a building or something like that, that they've signed a document saying that should they flatline in that event or anything like it, you know. So usually it's more... You know, it's rare, and it might even be that someone has cancer or kind of something that precipitates them thinking through, if I get to a point in this disease where, you know, I flatline, blah, 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 you know, that's such a small percentage of people, you know. So I think that, you know, that little window between, you know, technical time of death and then the flatliners, you know, who could be brought back, you know, that's a, I don't know, that might be a gray area there. Because you don't know if somebody can be brought back until you try. Yeah. That's the other issue. Like, you just don't know. Yeah. Which is so why doctors, try. yeah, that's why doctors and nurses try. Yeah. So if a person, you know, signs a document that before they ever get into the situation way in advance and they say do not resuscitate, I think that's probably, I think that's probably not on the table for what we're talking about with euthanasia. I feel like it's a different conversation. Yeah. Like, the difference between, like, am I, you know, someone saying, like, it's in God's hands now, and... It's a difference of preventing death yeah. and bringing death about. Okay, so mm -hmm. for, the, for, the, for the sake of the conversation today, we're talking about bringing death about, not preventing it. Okay, so that's the distinction that we'll make today. So, is there is is there a moral right for individuals um, to have their death brought about in an unnatural way to prevent suffering or pain? And is there a moral obligation on the behalf of those who love them, doctors, whatever? But particularly from a Christian, biblical, orthodox point of view to assist them in that pursuit. What do we think? Have we ever thought about this before? Oh, yeah. yeah, my mom literally says, because her mom had um, dementia, she's like, nah, just put a pillow over my face. And it's like, mm. well, first of all, you can stop right there. Yeah, I've had loved ones say that. Not murdering you. <laughs> That's how my dad uh, is. He has that mentality. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and she's like half kidding, but uh, yeah, yeah, but not really. Um, but because uh, it is just a, it is. A, I mean, it is a major burden. But, Absolutely. Uh, she just doesn't want to be a burden to other people. Yeah. For most people, but I have a loved one who's like that too. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to separate yourself from from that, and then. You know, I mean, that's just a movie, but I mean, that's real emotions for a lot of people. I mean, Tina Turner just died. Mm -hmm. she, she was mm -hmm. in Switzerland, kind of have assisted suicide, and her, I guess, her husband saved her life by. She's very sweet um, and <clears throat> poetic, considering her early, earlier relationship. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, hard to tell somebody what they can and can't do, but, you know, considering the conversation we just had on abortion, yeah, I mean, they do flow together, and if life is precious, um, and I think the conversation is similar, like, how much are you keeping someone alive mm -hmm. versus um, letting them live, if that makes sense. Network. Um, mm -hmm. What do you guys think? I don't like how much are you extending? Because it, it is complicated because we do know so much and we do have technology and we have so much medication 
and there's so many. You can live for so much longer, not on life support and mm -hmm. such, but through things that mm -hmm. 100 years ago mm -hmm. wouldn't be possible. Um, um, and it wouldn't even be. So, and so again, I think the picture you, that you can almost imagine in your mind, sorry, um, <laughs> is, uh, is <clears throat> you know, are we giving medicine to a person to stave off something that is killing them, to prevent it from killing them, and then we decide to stop giving that medicine and let the thing that's already naturally there, I mean, because of the fall, finish its work, or are we giving medicine medicine to not stave something off but to inject something new that um that leads to death so i think that is similar to the dnr conversation like stopping meds is completely different than providing meds that will um end your life yeah they, they both go to the same result but the motivation right. and the the cause of what leads to the result are different. Right. Yeah, I definitely lean towards control. How much control do you think we should have over a life? Because yeah. both all of these are kind of narrative around the time of death. Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to know your time of death? Ergo, you either stop medication and it pans out until you die of something natural. Cancer is a pretty common example of that. Um, or do you want to take a chemical that is a lethal dosage to humans? You know cyanide can be eaten in small amounts to be fine, or you can take a bunch of it and die. Um, it's all chemicals in that conversation. Yep. Um, and then, you know, that's where I'm kind of mulling over, where do we have control over this life? Um, or our own lives, our loved, one li loved one's lives, other people's lives in some extent. Every day we'd hop in the car, we'd take over, we'd have control over our lives and other people on the road. Yeah. Happen to be in the same circumstances, I was trying to get somewhere. Yeah. But we're driving these big metal machines. So <laughs> that's why I'm mulling over control. You know, where where do we um, yeah. start the control in the control? Let me add this piece into it. Um, so society-wide, uh, five states, this was back in 2016, so this may have even changed, you know, since then. Probably has changed. But five states, California, Oregon, Washington, Montana, and Vermont, have legalized physician-assisted suicide in some form. Okay, that's an important caveat in some form. So physician-assisted suicide remains illegal by statute in Montana, but a 2009 Montana Supreme Court decision shields doctors from prosecution so long as they have the patient's request in writing. I would say it probably looks a lot different in Montana than it does in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> uh, New, Mexico statute continue, New Mexico statutes continue to list assisted suicide as a fourth-degree felony, but the courts briefly made the practice legal in 2014 before the New Mexico Court of Appeals ruled against it. According to a Gallup survey taken in 2015, nearly 7 in 10 Americans, so that's like roughly 68%, say doctors should be legally allowed to assist terminally ill patients in committing suicide. Support for physician-assisted suicide has risen nearly 20 points since 2013 and stands at the highest level in more than a decade. According to a report by the National Institute of Health, Published studies do not list pain as a dominant motivating factor in patients seeking physician-assisted suicide. The reasons for seeking to die are usually depression, hopelessness, issues of dependency, and loss of control or autonomy. Pew Research Center study um, on views of end-of-life medical treatment. The study uh, was conducted in 2013 and 2014 surveyed 1,677 adults in the United States, which is a fairly good sample size. The study asked questions about end-of-life medical treatment, including whether people have the moral rights to suicide. Um, so when that was asked, here's what evangelicals said. 25% uh, of evangelicals believe a person has a moral right to suicide if he or she is ready to die, living is now a burden. Okay. Um, 24% of evangelicals believe a person has a moral right to suicide if that person is an extremely heavy burden on family. 36% of white evangelicals believe a person has a moral right to suicide when the situation is escalated to an incurable disease. 
Um, and then 42% of evangelicals believe a person has a moral right to suicide when the patient is a great deal in a great deal of pain with no hope of improvement. So, I don't know if that changes anything, but just well, some perspective. I guess two issues I thought about. Number one is difficulties of any kind. How, as humans, the first thing we want to do is to eliminate them. Mm. And Westerners in particular think we shouldn't have any. That's very true. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we look at scripture And I wonder, you know, look at Job, the things he went through. Um, so what does that say? I guess I have more questions and things to think about. So what's the point where we decide to end something, particularly life? And because we've been reading 1 Samuel, David many times had the opportunity to end the life of someone who was trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. And he would not do it because it was God's anointed. Now, granted, none of us are necessarily God's anointed in that respect. Mm. But where is the point when we have the right to take someone else's life or even our own? For we are not our own. And I, I don't know that I have an answer as much as I have questions about those issues. Mm -hmm. um, I have watched several family members go through really difficult situations. My mother died of cancer. My grandfather died of cancer. My grandmother had tremendous, horrible, a really bad dementia mm. at the end of her life. And it was really difficult. Um, and I watched mm -hmm. them die. Mm -hmm. Not literally. I wasn't there yeah. when it happened. But yeah. I watched the them process go. of dying. Yeah. And I and it and it was it was hard emotionally on everybody. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow God was there. And isn't that the reason mm -hmm. Jesus came? was that someday that will not be there anymore. And that's the comfort we have from Christ. So do I have the right to speed that up? Maybe. But I think that that's something that's really hard. That's a really difficult thing. That's why I don't know that I would judge someone for wanting that. But I just wonder... What is, what is it God wants from us? And I think that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, definitely not judge someone for wanting it. I think that's... Well, and that's why I've watched my family members with all of this, and I'm thinking mm -hmm. if I got to that point, mm -hmm. I remember what it was like on the family. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was just kind of like, man, just take me, Lord, now, yeah, before it gets worse. Because it's just, it's just emotionally. And that's what we saw in that young woman in that clip. It was the emotional pain of the love that she had for this person and that he did not want to be there anymore. Mm. You know, he, she didn't feel that love reciprocated. Which she is, called him selfish. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is so fascinating, um, that whole scene and her response to his desire. Now, at the end of the film, she comes around and she, I think she goes with him and all that stuff, but in that moment... I think um, the the film, the book, they they were trying to show us a picture of people's probably most natural response, and then they were trying to show us kind of the the virtuous moral response that they think is right, which is seeing that a person, you know, it's their life and it's their choice. Um, but actually, you know, it was in that moment that we actually saw breakthrough what we all know to be true. And, um, you know. 
Well, then the other thing I wonder, so how close is that then to suicide itself? Because people can be in tremendous emotional pain. That's what I'm struggling over here because I had a... Oh, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. It's not that I'm just... I'm fine. Yeah. But, you know, this happens, so it's fine. <clears throat> but one of the kids in my youth group committed suicide a couple oh my. A couple years ago. Mm. 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 It's hard to talk about. Oh, absolutely. And the pain that they go through. Well, it's just one of those things you don't think about, so it's fine. Mm. You think about it. It's rough. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Anyways, I had to like leave work when it happened. But um, he's my sister's age. Was a good, they were kind of close. <clears throat> Great kid. I drove to school every day. Oh. Uh-uh. Hmm. Like me, my sister, and him, I drove to school every day. It's just one of those. And his mom was. His family is great in the church. He's a history of mental illness. And like you were saying, it's like. I mean, my mom's like, Josh is like in a better place now. Like, and those are complicated things because, you know, mm-hmm. we come from, you know, <clears throat> as Protestant as we are, we come from a Catholic tradition where there's a hard line. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, mm-hmm. But when you start thinking about mental illness, you know, okay, it's like how much of a choice is this? Mm-hmm. And those types of things. <clears throat> and it's like, you know, we, we don't know the answers to what happens after <clears throat> after that. Yeah. Um, and of course you want to believe that, like, this person's in a better place and their suffering's been relieved. Um, 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 and, yeah, just, like, to get to that point, I mean, I knew this kid, so to get to that point, I mean, you're just talking about mm-hmm. a lot of suffering. He had a wife... Like the young wife, they had moved in next to his parents because of the issue. Mm-hmm. And he battled for years with his mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, um, I don't want to get too deep into yeah, it. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I mean <clears throat> and then when you get into it, but there's also a right. So is there a moral right for someone to commit suicide? Mm-hmm. That's way different than like phys- physician-assisted suicide. So does an individual have a right to take their own life, which is kind of the conversation I'm having right now that's just mm-hmm. come up naturally. Yeah, yeah. Um, is a little bit different than does someone else have a right to assist them in that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a little different. Mm-hmm. But well, I, guess, I think it's I guess, very similar, though, because all all the with them and, all the doctors doing is giving you a way to right. do it, because many of them do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're provi- trying to provide you a, I don't know, a safer, less painful way. Yes. Um, mm. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's kind of like because <clears throat> I kind of agree with that, but also like, are you? I guess it depends on where you're. Like, are you, as a physician or a friend or whatever, are you, have you done everything you can to um, help them see how precious life is um, and to fight their fight? Mm -hmm. Um, um, Which is what the girl in the movie is doing, is trying to go on that journey. and I think with uh, with someone who's you know struggled with mental illness you know severely and and ultimately chooses to take their life, you said it just in passing, but they struck me because I hadn't quite thought about it in that way. Um, that you know how much of a choice was it really? You know, um, and what I and what I took you to mean, and what at least what I mean is like you know I've uh, I've had little tiny kind of chemical imbalance type depression, you know, it's like, it's not a season, but, you know, over the, you know, a certain day or whatever, I just suddenly can't get off the couch, you know, like, I don't want to go anywhere, I, you know, I just cry for no reason, you know, that, that that's happened before, and it's amazing 
just, it's, you have zero control and you're not yourself. And so you're not thinking the way that you normally think. You're not feeling the way you normally feel. And so someone who makes that choice, you know, is that the choice they would have made on a different day, you know, um, under di di different, you know, maybe chemical balances or maybe there's, you know, not everyone, it's not always a chemical issue per se. There's other reasons for depression. Um, but all to say is like, you know, I don't know that that changes the moral calculation in terms of, um, you know, our relationship to them and even the choice that they made. Um, should they have made that choice? You know, I don't think that that changes. Yeah, okay, they should have made the choice. No, I don't think that's the case. But I think as we think about the mercy of God and of Christ, you know, um, that sin is not the same sin as someone who, in this video, oh, I can't use my legs anymore, so I'm just gonna, you know, life's just not worth, it, you know, mm -hmm. that's a, you know, that person's mental faculties are totally intact, you know, making a you know, very conscious, thought out, thoughtful decision. Um, both are sins, I think, but I think it's a, in a different vein, if that makes sense, you know. Well, I do agree. It's weird to sit here at this table and talk about, like, degrees of suffering and mm -hmm. and whether, because it, it seems silly. Like, I can't jump off of cliffs with a parachute anymore or or, or go whitewater rafting or whatever. So right. I'm going to, like, in my life. Uh, I haven't seen the whole movie, but, yeah, it seems a bit dramatic. Yeah. Uh, is it, like, now, if that comes along, now... I'm sure that does come along with severe depression and whatever, mm -hmm. uh, like from your dr dramatic and drastic change in lifestyle, mm -hmm. uh, those unchosen. Um, um, but, you know, it does seem uh, a little bit different than someone who is um, naturally near the end of their life or mm -hmm. going through, you know, something <coughs> like cancer, dementia, right. Alzheimer's, um, something like that, where, like you said, they're not themselves, or they're totally different, or there is an incredible burden on their family, or lots of suffering, um, um, in one way or another, um, and it seems like, okay, at what point are we, at what point are we dragging out someone's suffering, or natural lifespan, and at what, or, or at what point are we like helping someone that could otherwise live a prosperous life, uh, especially in the 21st century? Yeah, with all uh, the technology that we have, because um, that would be insensitive. But um, another thing that I thought about was I don't remember how long ago, but it's been a long time ago that hospice was even invented. To help people at the end of their lives, to ease them, make it what like death with dignity. I think is mm -hmm. part of what the idea is, and I think that that is a Christian. Yeah, was founded by yeah. Christians yep. to help them, not to help alleviate the pain that they may be having as they're dying, and and have someone there to help the family, mm -hmm. which is really. I mean, mm. I guess I see that as a Christian response to sort of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting in observation. Yeah. What about you guys? I know you're mulling this over, thinking it through. Yeah, I was, I was coming back to the suicide versus assisted suicide conversation. And weirdly, if you take it from their point of view, it's one of the last ways that they see hope, too, right. even in their lowest moments, right? Mm -hmm. That's good. Because... To him, his experiences in life are over, and his only hope is to be relieved from this body. Mm -hmm. um, which is, to everyone else, it's like, well, why is your hope in this, in death, right? Death should never be the end goal. It's kind of where my brain was going, like, is it really hope for that you're having, or are you just happy to not be in your current existence? Because mm -hmm. um, on the contrary, that's... In, I'm referencing the film again, but there's other scenarios it's going to apply to. You know, she only knew him in that state. I think that's the dichotomy of the film is trying to show, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Her whole life experience with him has been 
a paraplegic. So that's all she knows. They actually say that right before that scene, I think. Yeah. So that, you know, I have to reemphasize, like, this is the only thing I know of you, and this is what I've come to know of your life and who you are, and you're still a great person. Um, but to them, that's not the existence they want to have. You know, like you're saying, it seems a little ostentatious. Uh, <laughs> all the things he's not standing to do, but to him, that was his life, and this is no longer his life. They've altered. They've, been, they've become something they are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that death is a hope, even as morbid as it may sound for them or in certain circumstances people latch onto that as their hope mm-hmm. either in the Christian sense like I'm going to hope that I go to heaven even if it, my death is expedited like getting away from suffering or getting away from pain but to everyone else it doesn't seem it's hard to envision that hope of death for someone else um, yeah let me just add Philippians 121 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So does Philippians 1.21 form the biblical basis for no. sign? Mm-hmm. That's not the context. It's almost martyrdom, but that's... Yeah, having a desire doesn't mean like, doing it, right? He's, just, he's speaking to having a desire. That has nothing to do with whether or not he should yeah. go about this. Isn't he in prison? He's in prison. So. I was going to say, he doesn't know what's going to happen in his life, so he's mm-hmm. just basically saying, I think he's just saying whatever happens is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, you were talking about that you know, that hope, though, of mm-hmm. uh, on the other side of death, uh, you know, being relieved of the suffering, you know, because, you know, if you're a Christian, then you are kind of thinking about, gosh, like, I'm supposed to, on the other side of this, like, be made whole and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I could see one rationing, you know, rationalizing kind of to that end, you know, almost even to the point of, like, well, I'm forgiven all my sins, so this will just have to be one of them, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, that that often comes with people that have maybe grown up in the church or they're, you know, elderly in the church, they start to hold that mentality and start thinking through, like, well, I'm going to get there to one. He's even going to come, or I'm going to meet him up there. So it's going to be one or the other. He's going to meet me down here, or I'm going to meet him up there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wait, wait, <laughs> you're missing something in the middle here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the conversation we're having, mm-hmm. is especially in a religious context, a biblical context, like, are we supposed to <clears throat> hold that mentality? Like, either he'll meet us down here, or we'll meet him up here, you know. And then the time can be what we control, or are we just waiting on God's timing for those two things? It sounds like that's what Paul's doing. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what David did with regard to his enemy, who he could have killed. Mm -hmm. He was waiting on God's timing, trusting God to have things Mm -hmm. take care of it. I think when it has something to do with people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. The times they killed was when God said, go and take care of your enemies here. Mm. And even God did that for them many times. They didn't even have to fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. God had numbered their days, numbered the enemy's days too, so he's got dominion over all. All of life. Catherine, what do you think? We're just mulling over it. Um, I think I kind of go back to the point, I think James was talking about, like, what, how much choice do people actually have? Like, we're talking about mental illness, and I think we're talking about, like, you're kind of trying to juxtapose that to if somebody at their end of life with cancer or like in the case of the movie, he was a paraplegic. And the issue with that is like he probably, like most, you can develop mental illness from those situations, mm-hmm. right? Like severe mental illness where like mm-hmm. he's not. It's like, do they have that choice? Um, because I think we're making light of like in the movie, he was a paraplegic. Like that's not mm-hmm. The worst of all situations. It, it's, awful, it's awful to go through, especially if somebody like who was uh, basically an adrenaline junkie who's used to having control over his body, doing mm-hmm. what he wants, and all of a sudden he has the exact opposite experience. Mm-hmm. I would expect that to, to lead to mm-hmm. minimal, extreme depression. Yeah. Minimal, right? Mm-hmm. Like impossibly chemical imbalance due to that. Like mm-hmm. it could have led into that because there's a lot of great like unknown of... I mean, addicted to mi- adrenaline, you're, you're right. Right, there. actually yeah. that is a chemical <laughs> imbalance if Definitely. you are addicted to adrenaline. So. Yeah. It would have led into that to a true, probably chemical imbalance, at least from a dopamine perspective. Um, and I think we're making light of like those situations. Like mm. he could have become mentally ill from those situations, and like how much of a choice did he really have? Mm-hmm. 
um, in that scenario. And I think same, like it can happen with severe, anything that's severe, because I think loss of autonomy, I know like when you're caring for somebody who's elderly, it's important, even if they've lost their autonomy, to make them feel like they haven't, mm -hmm. um, right? Like when people get older and they lose their keys, that's a huge issue mm -hmm. in killing for the elderly. So I think like, I think we're underplaying the power of losing autonomy in our lives mm -hmm. and how that affects us. Mm -hmm. Mostly because most of us have not. <laughs> mm. um, but I've watched it, me and my grandmother had moved with my parents. And like she's lost almost all autonomy now. She can get around on a walker. That's as far as it goes. Yeah. And I know she struggled. Like I know my mom struggles with it. Cause it's my mom's mom. She struggles with it because it's just that like she went from living on her own to having a fall, and now she can't live on her own. Mm. Yeah. And that was a shocking, a shocking experience for both of them. Yeah. Um. And so I think we're underplaying some of that, those effects and the effects it has on your mental health and your emotional health. Mm -hmm. Um. And like coping with it. Like how do you cope with that? Yeah. And I think one point that you bring out, um, uh, or at least that I take from what you're saying, is, you know, as Christians, maybe, maybe we do, hopefully, we do value life and hold the moral standard that, you know, whether you're an aiding or you're the person, you know, contemplating taking your life, your life is not your own. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the... I think that's the foundation of, of a person who says, I'm going to end life, is because we fundamentally view it as our possession and our choice to do mm -hmm. with what we want, when actually life is a gift and we are stewards of this gift, both um, for ourselves and for others. Um, and at the same time, are we ready to enter into the hardest places with those who are going through the darkest hours mm -hmm. and to stay there when it's not you know fun or easy or attractive and you talked about family um you know you guys know of my experience with noel mm -hmm. you know of eight months of helping her die with dignity mm -hmm. and it was not easy nor was it fun um and i think that is if we're going to hold the line and say, this is what God desires for you in the face of immense suffering, we better be willing to bear whatever burden we are able to mm -hmm. um, of that person um, and encourage them and pray for them and sit with them and talk with them and take them places and wipe them and, you know, change them. And mm -hmm. um, so just to end on this thought then, you know, Claiming a moral right to suicide does not take into account the biblical understanding of the value of life or the purpose of life. Mm -hmm. Life is valuable because it is created by God and reflects His image, and it is purposeful because it is not ours. We belong to Christ, and like Paul, we literally live to serve His purposes, just as He did, just as Christ did for the Father. Like, Christ came to give His life. Not so that everyone could bow down. I mean, obviously that ultimately happens, right, when he returns. But he came initially to lay his life down for many. His life was not his own. And, and so living with a purpose even helps, I think, add a, a quality to life. Um, that, um, Anyways, so uh, Samuel James says this, though, about that, that book slash the movie. He says, Our lives don't mean something because we have fully intact spinal cords or the normal number of chromosomes, uh, you know, which is a, an allusion to um, Down, syndrome. Down syndrome. Thank you. Uh, they, they have meaning because God says so, a meaning that is clarified in the gospel where God's people are promised something better than an independent body. They're promised a glorified body. As Christians, we must share this truth repeatedly, whether we're talking to those like Will with disabilities, to couples considering aborting their Down syndrome child, or to a terminally depressed patient weighing assisted suicide. This is why the romance in Me Before You is so dangerous. It's a tragedy that this film, ostensibly about love, can say nothing better to our culture of death than it's his choice, so deal with it. Um, that is a very uh, malnourished understanding of love and of life. So um, this was meant to just to be kind of a discussion guide as opposed to a really like thorough ethical treatment of this topic. Um, I'm tempted to just kind of leave it here and continue on in our study because um, I thought we've had a really good discussion. 
and I thought you guys thought really well about all of the the other sides to things as best you can, you know. Um, but I'm happy for us to talk like offline about more of this, especially if there's anything that's hitting a personal nerve because of something that we've not said that's going on behind the scenes. Um, but let's pray and then we'll go and worship together. Father, thank you for the gift of life. Um, you know, I think everyone in this room, under the sound of my voice, uh, is not plagued by intense, life-threatening depression. And if they are, Lord, would you help bring them into the light and help us all come around them? I don't think anyone has got a chronic um, pain issue. I don't think anyone has a, um, a life-threatening disease. I think we all get up, put our feet on the floor every morning. We stretch. We take warm showers. We go for jogs. We we enjoy life in ways that are unthinkable to so many others. And help us to be grateful for that, God. And help us to be there for people who don't have those same fortunate blessings in their life. Help us to bring value into their life. Help us to bring happiness into their life. Help us to bring and expose and to show the inherent dignity in all of their lives. And help us to be an aid to them making a difference with whatever life that you've given them. Because we all serve a purpose. We've all been given a purpose. And we can all fulfill that purpose to different levels and degrees. Um, God, in church today, as we worship together, would you meet and inhabit our praise? And would we see a vision that Isaiah saw of you lifted up, high and lifted up? And would your um, glory fill the throne room of our sanctuary today? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.